episode 158 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 3rd of January 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Happy New Year. And Will. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2022. Where did all the time go? Sat at home doing nothing. Oh yeah, of course. So before we get into it, I just wanted to mention that the $10 tier on Patreon has got a new perk, and that perk is early access in brackets sometimes. So we record two episodes of this show back-to-back on a Monday night, and then I sit and edit one of them and put it out, and then at some point over the next week, I edit the second one for release on the Monday. Well, from now on, if you're in the $10 tier, once I've finished editing it, I will publish it straight away on Patreon. There's no guarantee that that's going to be early, but sometimes it probably will be. And the same goes for Late Night Linux Extra and Linux After Dark. Once it's done, it'll be published, rather than just queued for publishing like I normally do. So check it out anyway, latenightlinux.com slash support. And thank you everyone who is supporting us, by the way. All right, well, let's start with a piece by Drew DeVault called Please Don't Use Discord for FOSS Projects. I've got a feeling that some of you may agree and some of you may disagree <laughs> with him here. I feel like this ship has sailed a long time ago. I, I agree with the sentiment of this blog post entirely. There are many reasons why you shouldn't use Discord, and accessibility reasons are a really significant one. However, I just think you need to go where people are. If you want to attract newcomers, if you want to make the average person's life a little bit easier, then I think you need to go where people are. And sadly, that is Slack and Discord. Now, I don't like either of those solutions. I think I prefer Discord a little bit more than Slack. Well, actually quite a lot more than Slack. But I prefer them both to IRC, for example. And I, you know, I I feel that while I agree with the sentiment, I can't support people saying don't use discord because you need to get people in you need to attract people and that's what they're using i hate slack too i just like to point out i, I wasn't gonna leap in there and uh and defend it either i hate it uh, discord and the funny thing is discord yeah i i don't really like third-party stuff either telegram's different i find, like i like our chat as in telegram i think you need to pick one i hate when there's a spread across multiple and i don't know where those matrix uh, bridge systems are that good. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, a FOSS project shouldn't block anybody from joining if they've got an opinion on it. But equally, if you want to get new people, it's that same chicken and egg scenario of like, do you go where the people are to try and get them into the project? Or do you sit there in your sort of, well, not ivory tower, but you know what I mean? Your ivory IRC channel. And there you go. Maybe I'm going to be the, the one who's agrees most with Drew then because I I quite strongly agree that open source projects should try or endeavor not to um I mean Discord is has got a pretty good UI but I'm so sick it it doesn't need to be like a social network often how they're using it is as a gatekeeper for a community um lots of YouTubers use it for example and I just hate seeing yet another login for something that I feel should be openly accessible. Um, I lose track of where my logins are. I sometimes find I'm already logged in. And I, I really quite strongly dislike it to the point that I just won't bother joining a community or even taking a glance at a community if it's behind Discord. 
I'm not complaining. I think it's a challenge and there are open source almost equivalents um, being developed, which is good. And I think in the case of IRC, Mattermost is doing a pretty good job with that as well. And, and it takes people to use it to improve those open source alternatives. Yeah, I think it's a real shame that Mattermost isn't more popular because it is really good from what I've tried of it, but it's just the network effect. If no one else is using it, then what's the point? Yeah, we, we use it at Canonical. It replaced IRC. And I think it was the right decision, um, an open source company choosing an open source chat protocol. But one of the arguments against using Discord is that you've got to have this proprietary client. Well, hang on, no, Firefox works fine with it. There's a perfectly fine web app. Yes, okay, there's probably proprietary JavaScript or whatever, but fundamentally, you don't have to install the application. You can use Firefox on just Debian or whatever and have access to Discord, no problem. That's the way I use Slack for a couple of clients. Um it's fine. It's it's okay. You get you do get notifications. Um, they usually tie in with whatever your system one is. Well, maybe not an XFC. You probably don't have that yet. I don't want notifications. <laughs> but the only thing is, like video calling or audio calling or whatever, that doesn't work. So when I had to do that for work, I had to have the uh, client installed. But now for a bit of work stuff where it's just text chat, the Firefox web app is absolutely fine. It's perfect. The accessibility thing. Okay, that's a reasonable argument. But I think all of his other arguments fall a bit flat with me. I think you've got to go where the people are. You've got to get the next generation involved and at least using FOSS. Otherwise, it's just going to die out. Maybe. But I, d- I do feel like we should push back against yet another kind of login portal. When I, I mean, not so much open source. I just think the web should be accessible. It shouldn't be behind logins and accounts for everything. I mean, I'm sick to death of some link going somewhere where there's a pop-up that will appear over the content that you're trying to view. And there's no way of getting around it other than, you know, unblocking it. Surely you did want to join Pinterest, though, didn't you, Graham? Well, yeah, (laughs) I'm just absolutely sick of it. And Discord is just another brick in that walled garden. I think Discord allows you to have a Discord login and then federate that with the various, whatever they call them, communities or whatever. Yeah. But nevertheless, I agree with your point there that, that just having to maintain this ever-growing list of logins and access credentials for various different things just is a massive pain in the arse. But isn't your password manager just taking care of that for you? But it's the principle of the open web that I'm fighting for, I think. But what is the alternative? Even if you use Mattermost, you still got to have a login for that. Yeah, but I see, at least my experience of Discord is that it could be, we need better forum software, perhaps that is open by default, even if it does require a login or will require a login. I suppose open to read by default, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Open to be searched and open to be discovered and browsed read-only without logging in. Okay, Will, you found a really cheerful post by Heather Burns with her predictions for 2022. Yeah, so Heather has done work for the Open Rights Group. She's worked on tech policy and regulation. She's an open source contributor and she's the web developer. So she's, you know, she's got a really good set of credentials behind her. And so reading these predictions, I thought was, uh, was a very interesting insight into what somebody on the regulation side of the house had to say. And there were three predictions that I picked out. 
And the first prediction was that uh, these daft ideas for internet regulation will be embraced on the basis that anything that sticks it to big tech is a good idea. And this whole sort of won't somebody think of the children attitude will be used in the interests of surveillance and anybody who objects to these, uh, these measures will be accused of being an apologist for big tech and in the pockets of the big tech companies. And I think that's something that we've touched on in the past and is, well, scary and true. The big prediction for me out of this whole story, uh, which you would be forgiven for thinking was something that we'd thought up, was that the Queen is going to die. <laughs> and <laughs> not only is the Queen going to die, but it, the, the interesting angle here is about how businesses are going to respond. And there's going to be a, a competition to see who can be the most sad uh, and who can have their website <laughs> at, at half-mast. And then the, the knock-on effect for that, that Heather talks about, and I think that she's absolutely on the money here, is how the populist press and Boris and government co. I don't think this is necessarily exclusively UK, but you know this obviously comes from a UK uh, perspective. That that Boris's government and the UK press will drum this up into some sort of nationalistic affair, and so anybody who isn't seen to be publicly sad will be strung up from the nearest lamppost. Um, I think it's a really scary and accurate prediction about what is going to happen when the populist movement have something to to bang on. Uh, and it's quite scary. Uh, and I'll just sum up and, and quote one line from the document, which uh, Heather says, um, it will be the ugliest of months the internet has ever known. And I think that that is, is very true and is likely to happen. Well, I'm running out of spaces in my house to store popcorn. Should we start the episode that week with the Mexican hat dance? <laughs> if she dies in November, does that mean you'll have to start wearing black poppies? Or I mean, how does that even work? <laughs> Your name is going on the list. Uh, yes. How do we counter the narrative that we are pro-big tech then? If we want to disagree with the shit the government's doing that we don't like? I Honestly, I don't know. The first thing I think of is should be... The, EF, the think of the EFF and the Mozilla Foundation, but it's just not big enough. Because the big one's encryption, isn't it? And backdoors in that. And that's been rumbling on for 10 years or more at this point. But it's, it's coming, isn't it? You feel that that is coming. Some sort of regulations about that will eventually happen. Yeah. And, and what happens at that point? I mean, I think that open source will just say, fuck you. Uh, you know, take me down off GitHub, maybe, but people just host it in Russia or China or something. And finally make the decision to leave and live somewhere else. There's a, a little bit of the old cyberpunk mentality here. Like uh, I can't remember what the famous quote was about something about when uh, freedom is criminalised, only criminals will be free. And everyone's sort of taking these things underground. I kind of hope that that sees a bit of a resurgence and that we can reclaim some small corner of the web and keep it free and open as Berners-Lee intended. I, I kind of see that we'll be wearing uh, roller skates and um, going down <laughs> phone boxes again. Uh, that would be quite fun. I've got a great idea. Let's organise in my Discord server. <laughs> As Drew DeVault would probably say, he's also got a Gemini link for this, so I think Gemini could be that future. <laughs> I just want to say thank you to Joey Snedden over at OMG Ubuntu for writing down my exact thoughts. The headline, Firefox, can you quit shilling Mozilla VPN? and then in brackets, rant. And he talks about how seemingly every time he starts Firefox, you get a new tab advertising the VPN. And 
I think I've tweeted about this before, but I've never talked about it on here. It's just so infuriating. I, I get you have this VPN service and you want to advertise it, but just fuck off, please. It's funny. I never saw this once. Must be because you're in the EU. I don't think so. I think it's because I, I realized that I just automatically went through the settings and unticked the recommend extensions and recommend features automatically one time whenever they showed up. And it was a long time ago. I haven't done it since. So, yeah. And it's funny that shortly after Jory posted this, <laughs> there was a bit of a controversy, shall we say, with a tweet from Mozilla. Dabbling Dogecoin, hodling some Bitcoin in Ethereum, we're using BitPay to accept donations in cryptocurrency or hashtag cryptocurrency and then a bitpay.com link. And this has pissed a lot of people off. Especially Jamie Zawinski because he says, uh, hi, I'm sure everyone who runs this account has no idea who I am, but I founded Mozilla and I'm here to say, fuck you and fuck this. <laughs> Everybody involved in this project should be witheringly ashamed of this decision to partner with planet incinerating Ponzi grifters. And I can just say that is a beautiful piece of prose. Now, it would be hypocritical of us to criticize Mozilla here because we do have a Bitcoin address on our support page. And we will happily accept your funny money if you want to send it to us, latenightlinux.com slash support. But we're not exactly vocal about it, are we, like this? And it's, it's very much just an afterthought. It's like, okay, someone once said, please put an address there so I can send you some Bitcoin. I'm not going to say no, am I? Like, no, we don't want it. Also, I'm surprised that your um, pedantic language hasn't grabbed hold of hodling some bitcoin and ethereum because if you're hodling it you're not going to spend it that's true <laughs> Although they, i think they're saying if you're hodling it then stop and give us some <laughs> yeah you've been waiting all these years you've been waiting for this moment <laughs> yeah oh they'll be selling nfts next that's the real shark jumping i think because at least with cryptocurrencies there is the argument that they can be useful as an international transfer with much lower fees than Western Union or whatever. And especially with some other non-Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, there, there are some with even zero fees and stuff like that. So there is some potential use case for them, whereas NFTs are just for grifters and imbeciles, as I've said before. But I, I think that this pylon for Mozilla is, uh, is too strong, really. I think there are people with cryptocurrencies who will give it to them as a donation and why not maybe it could be a bit subtler and maybe just on their donate page at the bottom like hey you know if you want to give us some fair enough like we do but maybe maybe we should be more front and center right that's it if you're hodling give us your fucking bitcoin <laughs> take take the value out of the blockchain so that it no longer grinds through those gpus and we'll cash it in yeah exactly there does seem to be a general theme of mozilla scratching around for any money they can find now um we've talked about this before like they a lot of their significant income is at risk and they're obviously looking to find alternative long-term funding solutions this obviously is not one of them but it does make me worry about where mozilla are going and this well we talked about this many many times but um it's not looking good well yeah between begging for cryptocurrency and advertising their vpn service it starts to feel a bit desperate, doesn't it? Despite their hundreds of millions of dollars income. <laughs> but that could dry up. They're always at risk of that. But then again, Google are probably not going to pull the plug because of antitrust and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we say that, but I mean, imagine their income compared to the likes of, say, Katie or Gnome. Mm. I mean, how many times in excess of that is it? And yet still... 
they're that desperate. It just makes no sense. Well, it's because it's this huge organism at this point. It's this massive organization that has to feed itself. The bureaucracy has to maintain itself. And you look at something like Gnome or KDE, they are much smaller and therefore they don't need as much money to keep the thing going, never mind to actually do anything. Whereas when you're the size of Mozilla, you need a certain level of income just to maintain the status quo, just to stand still. I imagine there are a few people wishing they hadn't spent all that money on the CES stands and the uh, trade show stands when they were doing the phone. Yeah, or just doing the phone at all. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking phone. Are we still talking about Mozilla? (laughs) (laughs) Completely unrelated. (laughs) Canonical seeks Linux desktop gaming product manager. (laughs) Nice, nice. (laughs) They're excited to create the role of desktop gaming product manager to make Ubuntu the best Linux desktop for gaming. Uh, Yeah, okay, what's that phrase about the stable door and horses and stuff? (laughs) What is this a reaction to? The Steam Deck? That stupid fucking Canadian idiot? Or what? Like, either way, this is clearly a, a reaction to something. And it just feels too little too late. Ubuntu is not known for being the gaming Linux desktop. That niche of a niche of a niche. Even still, I think it's an important thing to be able to say, yes, we have somebody here who does this, just like we have a security person, because it is seen as an important thing by lots of people. I I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I I I still think that Ubuntu probably holds the lion's share of desktop Linux, whether those in other distros like it or not and you know it's still relevant that that still works really well i know absolutely nothing about this role and obviously i work at canonical but it would be interesting to have somebody to champion gaming within the company i mean i don't know fighting for gpu drivers to be included in certain places or performance of certain desktops i don't know it's quite an interesting idea and like there would have been that issue where they said they were going to deprecate the 32-bit libraries where, Hmm. you know, somebody who would have said, yes, we know that the game stuff needs it. It's not that bit. It's Those are fine. Like, that was a a bit of a storm in a teacup that didn't need to be there almost. Is there any money in gaming on Linux, though, as far as Canonical's concerned? Because you look at the work they've done for the desktop, there's a clear path to making that profitable with the OEM sales of hardware. Whereas with gaming it feels much more nebulous i mean i suppose making sure the graphics drivers work will somehow benefit the machine learning side of things as well but it feels like there's not really much point beyond a bit of pr here for canonical i think that this is a case of being there and being seen to be a gaming distro a valid gaming distro before somebody else comes along and sort of mops up all those users nevertheless In the last five years, there have been two people in the role of desktop manager that happened to give a shit about playing games. And I know that both of those people have tried very hard to get Canonical to care more about this and not very much came of it. I will be interested when Canonical are looking for a desktop gaming engineer and engineering manager and team rather than just somebody to write blog posts and keep their name relevant in all the interesting circles so they can appear to be a little bit sexy and a little bit edgy without actually doing very much other than writing a few blog posts. I think it's important to keep in that position though because I think if you go the way that Red Hat went with separating the desktop from server 
And then it took a long time before Fedora was seen as its own proper independent thing. I think that you you stand the chance if you're not keeping up with things, even if it's just fingers in various pies, then I think you get fairly irrelevant pretty quickly. But the fact remains, I believe at least, that there are at least one or two orders of magnitude more Ubuntu desktop users than any other distro. And it doesn't really matter that all of these upstarts are getting all the attention on YouTube and stuff. The fact is that there are a lot more people using Ubuntu than those other distros, a lot more people therefore at least attempting to play games on those distros, and even having someone to to champion that cause at Canonical must be good, even if they're only writing blog posts and just having at least access on your Mattermost to the relevant developers to get the right drivers pushed into the right PPAs or whatever for people who are really hardcore about it. This has to be, even if it's a, a modest plus, still a net plus for gaming on the Linux desktop. Well, five years ago, I didn't have any Linux games on Steam. I have 30 now, and I'm not even that much of a gamer. I mean, yes, fair enough, most of them are the Suns games, but there's a fair few decent, even large titles that run on it, and I'm glad that they are able to, because it's nice about it to fire them up every now and again. Well, yeah, and there must be at least some people who think, Arch, immutable file system, Ugh, no thanks, I'll be installing Ubuntu on my Steam Deck. And maybe that is what this is about. Yeah, I, at the end of the day, it will be very useful to have somebody whose finger is on the pulse of gaming, what the new video drivers bring, where they need to go, who needs to get them installed and tested, what hardware is needed to prove that they work. It will be very useful for everybody to have somebody at Canonical keep an eye on all of that and uh, and ask the right questions. So good luck to them. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Okay, a piece by SJVN on ZDNet. In 2022, security will be priority number one for Linux and open source developers. This feels like... Uh, He's stolen someone's prediction here. Hasn't he, though? He's obviously a big fan of the show, and he's decided that I was absolutely on the money, and he's written an entire article and put far more work into his thoughts than I did. But the gist of it is that people will wake up, realise that they are dependent on many smaller projects, and at least be aware that they are depending on these projects. Uh, it's described as a software bill of materials, which I think is quite a nice way of thinking about it, and will spell out exactly what libraries that you that you pull into your code are essential to your, to your business. And I hope that by doing such a thing, all those 
critical small one-man projects that everybody uses but nobody pays for will get a bit more support. Yeah, I think that software bill of materials buzz phrase is going to be a real big one this year. I did hear it last year from uh, Martin Winpress actually on Late Night Linux Extra when he was talking about what he does at work with uh, Slim AI and how companies are starting to really pay more attention now to exactly what software they're using, which is a positive step forward, I think. All right, a segment that I suppose we just got to call Discoveries because we've blatantly stolen it from your old show, Graham. Your old, old, old show or something. Oh, yeah, I lose track. Finds of the Fortnite? Oh, now you've <laughs> jinxed us. We never get it right every week. No, we're calling it Discoveries. I don't care. Discoveries of the bi-monthly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's going to be Discoveries of the Week because hopefully we'll do it. Uh, it doesn't matter anyway. It's, it's shit that we found and is vaguely interesting. So, Will, what have you found? I have found a thing called TS, and it's very short and not very exciting, but it has saved me an enormous amount of effort. Um, if you are looking at, uh, or rather, if, if you're tailing a process log, for example, which doesn't include timestamps in its log, if you pipe it through TS, TS will just shove a timestamp at the start of every line. And so now you've got easy chronological logging from something that doesn't necessarily do it. Um, it's a bit niche, perhaps, but I've found a lot of use for this. Um, all of those like crafty old log files that you're tailing to try and find out what's going on can't be bothered to go and put a timestamp in there. Just use TS, does it for you. Sounds like you need a time series database there, Will. Well, come to my <laughs> seminar and I'll tell you about that. <laughs> All right, what's yours then, Phelan? This is really a public service announcement that if anybody ever tells you that they're doing the Rockstar language specification, just immediately discount anything they ever say ever again because this is the biggest waste of time a nasty, horrible language I've ever seen in my life. Maybe not besides brain fuck, which is even worse, but this, this is just, I, I don't know. People need to go to this webpage, look at the specs of how to define variables, things like that, and just, just, oh, I can't even begin to talk about how infuriating it makes me feel. It's funny, but then when you realize that somebody spent time and effort on this and didn't like fix bugs in actual <laughs> proper programs, it just makes me really angry. Like Tommy is a rock star, has defined a variable, for instance. X is two. I mean, put X plus Y into results. Who the fuck wants to program like this? Just so it can look like lyrics of a fucking song. It's unreal. It will take about a hundred times longer to do anything. But it has got a cool logo, so yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a fair point. It looks like uh, the OCP logo from Robocop. Mm. Has anything actually been written in this, or is it just a joke? I, well, is it a joke? I don't think it is a joke. I think it's a serious thing that somebody did for a joke, but I, I have no idea. I just... Just if you see this anywhere, just stop and like close the tab. <laughs> Hang on, I've just noticed in the right-hand corner it says, Tommy used to work on the docks. Ah, oh, very good. Well, Graham and I will do our discoveries next time. And send some of yours in, dear listener. Show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do a very quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. The first one, highlights of 2021 and a roadmap for 2022. Yeah, some cool stuff happened in 2021. KWIN rewrite, NVIDIA GBM backend, accent colors, 
And the Control-Alt-I uh, command bar, which is like that search that you can search in any app, which is really good. And then in 2022, the plan is for tidying up some of the components that I don't use quick in the sentence panel, overhaul and breeze and multi-monitors and Wayland going to be a big thing. So yeah, lots of stuff planned. All right. And Krita 5.0 has been released. And this looks like a huge release that I have no idea how to use any of. Yeah. And that would be me also. And thank God there's a small video that can show you some of it because I don't know how any of it is used or works. Kind of cool though. Loads of things for animations and storyboards, which I didn't even know it could do. Uh, Perspective tools, loads of brushes, gradients, things like that. And it also has that control eye thing, which is really cool. And that's for Windows, Mac, Linux, and Android, which is quite cool as well. What's this about a new browser then? Yeah, so Falcon is kind of the default sort of browser if you're not using Firefox or Chromium or Chrome. Um, It's the sort of KDE browser but it's not really been maintained much since 2019. So Angelfish, which is the one that you can use on K-Mobile, is actually coming to desktop, which I don't know whether that's a first or not for a phone app moving to desktop, but um, it's a Qt web engine and a Qt quick control. So it's it's really quick to develop. They've done loads of work on that and yeah, more up-to-date, more modern. And I think it's shown some promise there. So a bit of a, a video on that there. And there's a KDE art stream, which as we record is still going after nearly five hours. And even after we stop, I get something to eat, edit the show and put it out. It'll probably fucking still be going by the looks of things. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things of watch people do magic on screen because like I, anybody who does anything really professional with our application on a computer is just, I, I just don't get it. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Ken, it's Ken Vermette. He does a lot of the, the graphic stuff already for the team and he's doing work on the breeze icons as well. And uh, I, I would say subscribe to him if you're interested in any of that stuff, because I'm sure he'll do more of these. Yeah, cool. Well, link to all that in the show notes then. Right. Well, we better get out of here. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about all sorts of different things. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.